You're listening to the Fanfic Maverick Podcast, the show where I talk to fanfiction writers about their work and the marvelous world of fanfiction. This show may contain adult themes and language. Listener discretion is advised. The following paragraphs are from a fanfiction story titled Hold Me by the Heart by today's guest fanfiction writer, Machadulu. In retrospect, he really should have seen it coming. Extended periods of time on the Razor Crest, sudden attacks from bounty hunters, friends turned foes. Although Din really wouldn't have called Mayfield and his lot friends, all things considered. Flying from planet to planet, food shortages and water rations. It was sporadic, Din knew. Inconsistent, extremely erratic. But that was bounty hunting, and Din had learned to adjust. Years of combat training had taught him to live reflexively. Your reaction time must improve, his viewer had scolded him as a boy. The space between life and death rests on seconds, and sometimes even less than that. Unless you die as a warrior, you must strive to cheat death. There could be no wasted time, no getting himself killed because he'd failed to anticipate challenges. The result, constant movement. The only way to cheat death was to outrun it. He'd learned to pack up, pursue his bounty, and leave without a trace. He'd lived everywhere and nowhere. No attachments, no strings to tie up, less mess. He'd adjusted to living in extremes. Few wash-ups, picking up a job here and there, running on no sleep, rationing resources, and only grabbing a bite to eat when he might pass out from hunger. This was the life he'd chosen. If he wanted normalcy, he wouldn't have sworn to the creed. This was the way. But, in retrospect, Din really should have anticipated how this way might impact the kid. The mechanic had said half as much. You can't just leave a baby all alone in a ship. And at the time, watching the kid make some unintelligible happy chirps as she cradled him, he'd said nothing. She was right. Din was a Mandalorian, a bounty hunter. He was no caretaker. He was no bure. And he knew next to nothing about raising a kid. To the north, south, east, and west, four corners of the world. Greetings from the wild, arid desert of the American Southwest. I'm your host, Chaos Blue, and this is the Fanfic Maverick Podcast. Our special guest author for today is Machadulu. She has been a member of AO3 since 2020 and has posted two fanfiction stories for the Mandalorian fandom. When she isn't writing, she enjoys obsessing over Hayao Miyazaki films and reading. She's also a major foodie and loves talking all things food. Machadulu, thank you so much for joining me today. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? Oh my goodness. I am so thrilled to be here. I mean, I've shared that many times, but I'm so excited. I'm doing great. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm so happy to be here with you. We're going to do a great show today, as you know. We like starting at the very beginning of people's fan fiction journeys. So tell us about the time that you first discovered fan fiction. What was that like? How did it feel? Yeah, yeah. Well, first, I do love that question. So for me, I think I was, hmm, I was between the ages of 10 and 14. I'm pretty sure I was closer to 10 (laughs) Um, because I loved being on the internet. And 
I don't remember what website I stumbled on, but I do remember the feeling because I remember before I stumbled on fan fiction, I used to watch movies or read books and think of either alternate timelines or change the ending and say, you know what, these two should have ended up together. I don't know why those two ended up together. Let's change that. Actually, let's just take that person out of the story completely. And so when I went online and realized other people did that too, but they actually wrote their ideas down, it was like a whole new world opened up. Cue Aladdin, because that song and that idea was exactly how it felt like for me. I thought I was, I don't use the word alone because that sounds so dreary. But I did feel like, oh, like this is just something I do in my head. I just like to create these, what if this happened instead? What if this happened? And so to go online and to see a whole community of other people doing that, doing it for free, (laughs) um, but so professionally, it was so exciting. It felt like connecting to a community. It felt like not being alone. And so honestly, it was just thrilling. It was absolutely thrilling. Sounds like the genie came out of the bottle on that one for you. (laughs) It did. It did. Oh, that's so awesome. Now, you mentioned that you didn't quite know what website you were stumbling in upon. So I'm guessing that this may have been one of those old school fan fiction archives run by the fans, right? It was. It was. It had that. I mean, it's so hard to describe it. But I feel like if I start to describe what the little bit I know, you might catch on of The way the layout and everything was, for me, I can only describe layout and like font and uh, I I have the image in my mind and I can't describe it in words, but it was, it was like one of those that were run by fans and it's like early, like early 2000s. And so I think, I think that's all I need to say. And I I have an idea that you know what I'm I'm talking about. I think I do know what you're talking about. And you know what? Like, God bless those heroes that were out there curating these archives. Serving their country. Right. Yes. Yes. Because we all stumbled upon that archive at some point. And it was so great. I love it. Now, do you remember the types of stories that you were first reading? Like, was it in a certain fandom or was it like all fandoms or... Yeah, you know, let me see. I think the first one, a lot of the fandoms I first started off with, it was like bands. It was like musical bands. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, I'm really <laughs> this is this is so hard because I'm I am trying to scrabble back to my youth, and so my memory is very fuzzy on this one. But I'm pretty sure it had to do with musical bands. I was not looking at yet at the time like TV shows or movies, and I remember. Very similar to now. This is the only seamless thread between my past and my present. (laughs) I was still looking for hurt, comfort, like angst. Like, give me someone's being tortured. Give me someone is like being bullied. Like, I don't don't know what it was. Maybe it was because I was in those middle school blues. (laughs) But that doesn't make any sense because I'm not in middle school anymore. Like, that is, that's past. But I think I was looking for a lot of the similar themes. And I think The only way I can explain it now is, I don't know, there's something, this is going to sound super meta, but I think there is something about suffering or pain or difficulty that's so intrinsic to the human experience that we all experience, all in different ways. But I think that was something, I mean, different stories that I I could read, I'm like, okay, that's really cool. 
there's not the sense of empathy that I completely understand it, but I'm just, it's just entertaining. But I think with angst and especially with hurt comfort, it just taps into something about the human experience that, again, we all know, like on a deep soulish level. So I think, yeah, that's really what I was looking for. I'm like, make me hurt. Like, I want to cry. You were looking <laughs> for something real, right? Yeah. Something honest. Yes. Yes. Oh, I love that. When did you first write your first fan fiction story? Yes. Okay. So I remember this one. All right. It was, I was a freshman in high school. Okay. And so it took me a long time. There's that. So it took me a very long time. I was not confident. So I was coming out of middle school and I'm pretty sure it was for the One Direction fan fandom. Ah, yes. I think it was. And it wasn't even that reader insert. It was like, I'm going to ship you two together. Because <laughs> I just, <laughs> for me, I've never been, like, I love the reader insert community. Do your thing. That's awesome. For me, I've never really wanted to insert myself. I just always want to ship two people together. <laughs> so for me, I'm like, I just want to like watch you two to get together. And so for me, I think I was 13 or 14. And I'm pretty sure it was on Wattpad. Now, that's not that's not my, my platform anymore. But I think that was the first, that was one of like the second or third actually platforms I stumbled upon. So I definitely know that with complete accuracy. I was like 13 or 14 years old. I do not know where that thing is now. That's I'm not just saying that because I don't want other people to read it. I really don't know where it is. I know it's not on Wattpad anymore. And I usually do like to tell people, I wish you could go back and read my my writings then because there's a lot of growth. But yes, I definitely know that is when I wrote my first fan fiction. Oh, that's awesome though. How did that feel when you posted your story for the first time and it went out into the world like that? Ooh, I love that question. So first, it felt completely scary. Yeah. I think it felt completely scary. I think the reason why was it's one thing to kind of be an invisible reader. It's another thing. I mean, the best way to explain it is like it's tapping into an aspect of vulnerability that comes with creating anything. And then putting it out there into the world. And you're like, oh my gosh, is this good? Do people hate it? You know, is it okay? You know, and I think it felt exhilarating and it felt scary and it felt vulnerable. And I think all the things that come with creating anything. And so that's a feeling I want to say even now, even though years have passed since then, like a decade has passed since then. It, it might sound a little weird, but I just don't want to get away from that feeling. I'm like, it's it's such a vulnerable feeling. I don't want to ever get to the place where I'm like, oh, this is a breeze now. I don't feel anything. <laughs> I just feel like I'm just going to put it out there into the void. It's like, no, I I still want to feel that I'm so excited. I, I love what I did, but I also feel nervous. I also feel unsure. And I think that there's something about that that is so vulnerable and is so human that I don't really want to lose touch of. So I felt that then. I mean, I've written stories since then. I still feel that way now. And, you know, I think there's been growth with my writing, but I'm glad that's one thing that hasn't changed emotionally about the process. Yeah. It sounds like it makes you feel alive. Yeah. Right? Ooh, that's a good word. I love that. <laughs> that's a good word. Yes. Yeah. So I, I totally can understand why you would never want to lose that, right? That feeling of being alive. And putting something that you created out there. And it's just beautiful. I love that answer. Thank you. What inspired you to want to become a writer in the first place? 
Oh, I love this question too. Okay. So I have multiple answers and I really hope I don't get long winded. So if there's a certain point where you want to say you are muted, you can do that. Get long winded, do it. (laughs) But okay. So I think first, I think it taps into my childhood. I was the kid where those days when you used to get an allowance, I was a kid who would blow all of my money on books, like (laughs) all of it on books. Other people are like, oh, clothes. Don't you want to buy shoes? I'm like, take me to, well, this is when it was still, it was still in existence, but there was the Borders bookstore. I don't know if you know about that. Oh, yes. yes. I used to go to Borders all the time. You know, and now there's Barnes and Noble, unfortunately, but I loved Borders. I used to go there all the time or the library or other things. And I think there was an aspect about, I don't want to just say it was escapism. It was to some degree, but I think I just, I love, I, and to this day, I love the power of story. There's just something so magical about it that these are just words on a page, but I feel like, I don't want to say I just lost two hours of my life, but I'm coming back to my life. Like I just entered a completely different world. That was so real to me. There's something so magical about that. And I think that inspired me to be a writer. I think another thing was, so I'm a person of color. And I think, especially when I was growing up, there was just not a lot of representation of people of color as main characters. And so obviously that's one reason why I love The Mandalorian. I love Pedro Pascal. But I think there was something too, especially when I was growing up, a lot of where there's people in the Latinx community or it was people within the LGBTQIA plus community or in and all these communities that just tended to to be portrayed in stereotypes and in certain tropes and not as complex, fully human people, like just human beings. And I remember, now I see a lot of that more now, but I think when I was younger, there was just this ache to create something that felt honest and complex and just deeply human. That's a mantra that I have for my writing now. But I just wanted to be able to see myself. And I think I hoped other people would see themselves too. And not always in a way of like skin color or just ethnicity or anything like that, but just the aspect of just being complex, being a bundle of contradictions that, you know, you may be the hero, but like there's aspects of difficulty and darkness that you wrestle with. And there isn't this clear black and white hero and villain. And I'm just, I think I'm somebody where I love living in gray as problematic sometimes as that can be. I love nuance. I love complexity. I like characters that you don't usually see. I like disrupting things. And so I think I took all of that and I was like, you know what? The best way to do that is just be a writer. (laughs) And so, and so I think a lot of it was just, it tapped into my childhood in a really special way. And so I think it's those two things that made me want to be a writer. I love that. Especially the idea of the nuanced gray spaces that writers find themselves in because that's where the juicy stuff is at. That's where the human stuff is at. And that's what we want to see, right? Yes, I completely agree. I completely agree. You're about to get me on a tangent. So, <laughs> so, cause this is, this is, I'm so like, I think you're passionate about this too. And so I think you're going to get this, but there is something about, hmm, I think the reason, at least I can say for myself that I love the complexity and the nuance and the contradiction is because it feels so deeply human. I think for many of us, we exist in spaces where we, I mean, 
here's a case in point. I'm like, you know what? I need to stop eating butter toast all the time. And I'm like, I'm going to do it anyway. And it's like, you know, I'm like, I know I should do this. I'm not going to, you know, I know this, this is really what I value, but I also find myself doing this, you know? And I think that's so accurate. Like, I think for all of us, we have, I mean, this is something, I mean, I do not mean to jump here immediately, but this is something, again, what I loved about The Mandalorian. It really pushes that, but I just feel like it's just so deeply human. We all exist in spaces of contradiction and complexity and nuance and, you know, having certain things that feel kind of together and a lot of things in our life that feel totally not together and messy. And so to to tell those stories, to read those stories, it feels like at least for me, it feels like a sense of belonging. That's like, okay, I belong. I'm not an outlier, an outsider. You know, this is this is something that other people experience too. And so, yes, yes, I love it. I absolutely love it. Oh, well, that segues perfectly into the next <laughs> question that because, and we've talked about this a little bit already in the interview, but fan fiction tropes, speaking of human experiences that we can all connect to on some level, that we love. What are your favorite fan fiction tropes and why are they your favorite? Oh, okay. All right. Let me see. You know, I was actually thinking about this and I'm like, I'm still thinking about it because I already mentioned like, yes, I, I do love things. I like a specific trope where either someone is physically hurt or they're mentally anguished. And so obviously this is a niche of, of hurt comfort. There needs to be, for me, someone is either physically experiencing something or they're emotionally... Actually, if they're emotionally or psychologically experiencing something, that's even better for me. And I love... You know, that's changed for me. I think at one point, I liked when there was more of like a savior who kind of came in. But I like it more where there's two people who are experiencing that. And they just find a way of meshing together and creating this, this relationship that's not dysfunctional. But sometimes it can be, but it's more, you know, it's more like we're figuring out what does relationship and health and healing look like for us. I love that. I mean, I love it. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I could read those stories all day. And I, actually, I have. I can't, I can't even put that in the hypothetical. I do do that. I read them. Like, I lose hours reading those kinds of stories. Ah, I love that. So you need the resolution after the suffering, right? I do. I do. I'm, you know, I'm the kind where I'm like, they don't have to, whatever it was that they were dealing with, it doesn't have to be completely like, and now I'm good. It can just be like they grew as a character or because that's, that's how I view character development. It's like, I think sometimes, and I feel like you're really, you're going to get this too of like, I think too often it's it's portrayed as like, and they don't feel that anymore. They don't experience that anymore. Like that's not an issue anymore, whatever it was that they were wrestling with. Instead of like, no, it can just be, you know, they just took baby steps. Like maybe it was hard for them to talk about their feelings and now they're learning how to do it. Like, AKA like focus on the word learning. There's just process. And that's what I, I'm absolutely in love with. So, you know, I can go on about tropes, but I think that's like, that's at the top of my list, probably number one, easily. Oh, and I love that you brought that up because sometimes, you know, and we talked about this before the show a little bit, like sometimes I feel a little bit bad that I like the <laughs> angst and I like the yeah. comfort because it's Sadist. like there's something wrong with me. <laughs> but you're right. Like, I don't necessarily need magical healing in the story because that's 
that's never how it works in real life, oh, right? Yes. It just never right. does. But you're right. Like when the character goes through some sort of odyssey or mm, journey, even yeah. if it's just emotional journey, and you're right, they're learning how to reach out. They're learning how to talk about their feelings. And even mm -hmm. just that act of reaching out to another human being, oh. right? Sometimes that is just the best resolution ever because nothing's fixed, which is fine because it doesn't happen that way in real life anyway, anyway right? Yes. But you, you watched a progression and a journey of some kind happen and it's just, uh, it gets me. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> Oh, I love that. I honestly, I say this, I feel like I've said this a lot to you already. I love how you worded that. That's beautiful. Because <laughs> it's true. I mean, the word yeah. odyssey, the word journey, that I feel like that captures it perfectly. Because I think there is, at least I can, I can only speak for myself. I think there's an aspect for me where in my head, I think I like the arrival point, but in my heart, I really love the journey. I love the process. There's something about the arrival where I don't know. I think it taps into, I get to control. I get to like, okay, we're going from point A to point B. It's very logical. But there's something about the process that's just so inherently messy that I'm in love with that. And again, I think it is the fact that um, you were saying before, I think it's something that we all relate to. I mean, all of our processes are like that. And I think we're kind of told they shouldn't be like, right. you know, it should just be easy. You should just know what you want to do with your life, even though you're only like 16. Like, or you should just know what you want to do with your life. Or that should never change. Like, okay, you're 30, you're 40. And what you decided when you were 20 should last for the rest of your life. Like, that makes no sense. <laughs> but we don't really allow questions and process and, you know, diversions and, you know, okay, I'm going down this road and now I'm making a, a U-turn and, you know, and I think... I think there's something that Odyssey that you're talking about, that journey, that is, you know, it's something that I think we all empathize with. And I, I just, again, I love the way that you worded that. That's so good. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Like there's just something about the process of it, the nitty gritty messiness. Mm -hmm. And I love that yes. you use that word messy because that's one of the things that I love about fan fiction so much is it normalizes that messiness a little bit Ooh, and that's good. has helped me at least in my own personal life to go, you know what? It's okay that I'm in a messy spot in my life right now. It's okay to be there. You know, it's something we all go through and it's great that we get to talk about it. We get to read about it. People are creating stories about it. I love it. It's also cool when you do get to see some of that happen in canon as well. And we've talked about the Mandalorian here a little bit leading into it because that is what we're talking about today is the Mandalorian. And one of the magical things that I like about The Mandalorian is that it does cover some of those gray spaces in canon, which is unusual in my opinion. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? I agree. Right? I agree. Now, how did you first discover The Mandalorian and what do you love about it? Uh, yes. Okay. So first, you can thank my sister. You're going to hear a lot about that woman. She's one of my best friends. But you can thank my sister because she mentioned offhandedly to me when the first season was going on. Oh yeah, I got Disney Plus. I'm gonna listen. I'm gonna watch The Mandalorian. I'm I'm off for work today. And I'm like, okay. So that may not seem like a big thing, but I'm someone. This may sound weird. I'm someone where I don't watch a whole bunch of television or TV shows. And usually, even if I do, usually I feel kind of ambivalent about the show. And so at that time, when she mentioned it, I was like, ah, oh, like I have a Saturday. I'm not doing anything. I'll watch it too. <laughs> 
And they were on the sixth episode by that point. It was at the sixth episode. And when I tell you, I was drawn in like it was Alice in Wonderland. And I have been lost ever since. I have not found my way out. And I'm totally okay with that. Um, <laughs> you it, fell into that rabbit hole pretty I hard. I fell into it. Oh my gosh, I did. I did. And so like, I'm at this point, I'm kind of cuckoo for it. And so I love that question of like, what do I love about it? And I think you hit the nail on the head before about saying how the Mandalorian taps into that complexity, that gray area. That is honestly what I, I mean, there's, there's many reasons. That's one of the top reasons why I absolutely love this show. I think sometimes with Star Wars, more so maybe in the earlier movies, because it's based on the period that the society, you know, American society is kind of in, where you do have, you know, there's the Jedi, and then there's like the Sith people, and there's this good, and then there's evil. And I think what I love about The Mandalorian, and especially we're in season two now, is that you just have this man who has adhered to this creed for his whole life. And it's the sense of this is the way. And I think that and there, there's so much I could say to that. But it's like, there's this one narrow way, and you need to walk in it and adhere to it. And that you have Din's character development, where he starts to move further and further away from that, not intentionally, which is so cool. But realizing there's multiple ways. <laughs> and, you know, oh, you take off your helmet? Wait, you can't do that. Like, you're not a true Mandalorian. No, y'all are just in a cult. Like, you know, and realize, you know, and that, like, the sense of disruption is exactly what I love. I love him as a character. I mean, there's so, yes, there's first the gray areas that it's not so clear cut. I read um, <laughs> a Tumblr post one time that I was dying when I read it. Obviously, not literally, but it was so funny because the person was like, you know, Dan is like one of those people where, he has a moral compass, but you just don't know where it's pointing. Like, you know, and I loved that. I loved that. I was like, it's very true. Like, you just never know what kind of day it is for him. He's like, oh, you betrayed me. You know, at this point, you're on like, we're on a short stick. And I love that. But I think I also love him as a person. He's somebody, at least for me, he's somebody who I feel like his armor is so symbolic. And so this is really about to tap into everything that we were talking about earlier. I think you're going to understand really quickly why I like fell in love with him as a character. Because you have this armor that is impenetrable. Like you can't tell, I mean, we read emotion based on someone's face a lot of the time. And you can't get that. No, you cannot see his face know, most of no. the time. You don't know his name until the end. And honestly, and he just goes by Mando, but they all go by Mando. And so there's this sense of he's not supposed to be known by anyone. He's supposed to be an enigma. But then I think when you go, when we're going into the story and you realize, at least for me, I'm like, he's so emotionally rich. I just like in the tone of his voice and cadence and body language, especially towards Grogu. And that's something that I fell so in love with. And the fact that he's so restrained emotionally as a character. So, of course, I love that. This sense of, I mean, there's that part in episode, the last, is this episode eight at the end of the first season where there's IG-11 and he's like, oh, there's no reason to be sad. He's like, I'm not sad. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> lies. He's like, I'm sorry, honey. Like, I've got to tell you that, that actually I've read your voice and I'm trained as a nursemaid 
and you are sad. And it's this awkward moment where he's like, oh no, like, oh shit, someone like has seen me. And <laughs> I love that moment. I love this moment where like to to take off his helmet is this inc- like this incredible excruciating vulnerability that he's always trying not to be seen but grogu draws that out of him it's i mean honestly like we're literally talking about like this is everything that hurt comfort angst and womp just loves and so i was drawn in i can go on and on but those are like the main reasons he's so compelling he's so captivating and i love that oh absolutely and the way okay you know in the second season when he has to take his helmet off oh my gosh yes and the way that Pedro Pascal, like he nailed it because nailed it. all over his face, oh, you can so see it. Like, I hate this. I don't want anyone <laughs> to look at me. Don't look at me. Don't see me. Don't talk yes. to me. And it was perfect because I was so uncomfortable. It was a good uncomfortable. Yes. It was like this angsty, like, yes. Yes. But you could feel that coming mm-hmm. from the screen. And it was perfect. Yeah, you're totally right. I agree with that. That was such a good episode. I mean, it's funny because at the beginning, before he does that, he's like volunteering everyone. Who's going to go in? Fennec? Is it going to be you? Boba? Right. <laughs> it's, like, it's like that one person in class where they're like, who wants to do it? It's like, yeah. why don't you just do it? And at the end where he's like, I'll do it, but I'm not going to be showing my face. I'm like, mm-hmm. I have a feeling this is about <laughs> to be. If like, you say so. If yeah. you think you want. And, you know, and it's that kind of thing. And I love how you said that because it's so true. Like, the discomfort was so palpable. You just, like, you could feel it through the screen. I mean, Pedro Pascal is, like, is an amazing, amazing actor. And so, of course, he nailed it. But, I mean, I think especially that point where, they're sitting down and having that conversation and you see him making very brief moments of eye contact, but immediately yes, looking he away. He could barely do it. He, he could, could barely, barely do, it. do it. And I was noticing that the whole time going, I oh know. my God. I'm like, <laughs> oh, he's such a soft bean. I love this man. I'm like, it's so funny. And I, I think I saw so many Tumblr posts about this too. It's like, you see him in his armor and you're like, oh, so ferocious. And then he takes the helmet off and you're like, oh. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. Which means that he has internalized that armor. Yes. You know, to this That's point good. where he does not know who he is Yes. It. Ooh. Oh, I love the way that you said that. Oh, I felt that in my body. That's so good. That's so good. And I think that's a good point. I mean, I'm pretty sure season three will probably go (laughs) in that direction. Who are you without your armor? Who are you without your baby? You know, and I think, I mean, I, I, here's the thing. One thing I absolutely love, and I've, I meant to say this earlier too, but I want to say it now. One thing I absolutely love about him as a character, but also about the show, is there's so much subversion that's happening. Like, one, I love the fact that, you know, he's, they're like, weapons are my religion. But, like, he, it's not this kind of toxic, like, you know, I'm just brandishing my weapons all over the place. Like, usually, like, the camera will cut to him, like, polishing them or cleaning them, and there's a sacredness about it. Or, like, I love the fact that, there isn't this sense of like, oh, you're a woman, like you can't fight. Instead, it's like he always ends up protecting the people where he's like, you're just not skilled to be able to do this. So it's like the frog woman or it's like the guy who he captured who's like blue. <laughs> he's looking over that lava pit and he's like, you need to step back. 
you know, you, you're the kind where you would boil yourself alive, you know, but for him, it's based in competency, you know, and I think that's tied to their culture. And I love that. I also like the subversion of the way that he parents. You're totally about to get my ethics, but I love the way that he parents and the way that he shows up for Grogu, especially in like Western society, it's very common for mothers to sacrifice everything for their children and for their families. It's very common. It's like you give up your job. That's not even a thought. You give up this, you give up that. And so the fact that I see that in him as a character where he's willing to give up his whole livelihood, everything he's known, like in the sense of the creed and that armor, I'm like, I have not seen that. That is special in the sense of I am willing to sacrifice everything for this child. You know, I feel like that's so subversive and I love it. So it's it's so good. It's just so good. I love that you bring all that stuff up because that's one of the things that I really loved about your particular writing. Oh. <laughs> you get so psychologically into those elements of the canon and the story that it just was captivating. So for today, we are talking about your fanfiction story, Hold Me by the Heart, which is a Mandalorian fanfiction. It is an incredibly amazing multi-chapter introspective father-son relationship between Mando and Grogu. For those of us that haven't read the story, how would you describe that story? What is it about? What inspired you to tell it? And what messages were you hoping to communicate? Well, first, thank you so much. Uh, I like. I wish you could see me. I'm smiling so hard. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I feel like that. I feel so warm. So thank you. That's incredibly kind. So if I had to describe it, all of my stories tend to start with a question. And so first, the story began for me when I was watching the first seasons. Again, I jumped in when they were on episode six. And I remember I was like, huh. He's leaving Grogu with a lot of people or just leaving him in random places. I noticed that. <laughs> and it makes sense because of like, I mean, obviously his line of work, he can't, you know, but at the same time, I'm like, wow, you're talking about somebody who's been a child who's so young, who's been kidnapped. And I was thinking has been handed off to so many people. I'm like, that's a, honestly, that's a shit ton of trauma. I mean, that's trauma. And so this story started with this question of, okay. If we tapped into that of a sense of not just separation anxiety, but tapping into Grogu's attachment style, which seems like it would probably be more an insecure attachment style, and they're being hunted through the galaxy, and Din is a new parent, and all of that, how would they form attachment when there are those inner psychological, emotional difficulties and with trauma and so honestly, that's how the story started. And I would actually describe Hold Me by the Heart in that way, that it, it's trying, maybe not so much, eh, it might be trying to answer that, but I think it's trying to explore it. That's a better way to say it. It's trying to explore that question of like, how do you, how do you engage in healing and attachment when Din, on the one hand, I typify him as having more of an avoidant attachment style when Din has been alone for most of his life, he's very solitary. He speaks to people in very succinct, direct, like it's not really, I mean, most of the time people converse to connect. He's conversing to go from point A to point B. And so how do you have that? And then you take Grogu, who is clingy, and especially at that age, I usually 
think he might be around two or three in like human development who might be clingy and who's been passed off to one person to another person and doesn't know who he belongs to. But the only stable person in his narrative has been Din. And so naturally we'll cling to that out of fear of loss. And so I think it was meant to ask this question of how do you form attachment and relationship and connection between two people who've known incredible loss? And that's really the story. <laughs> Honestly, it's, it's meant to explore that. And I think I didn't want Din to be a savior type. I mean, as attractive as that is to me, I look at him as, as someone who is also dealing with his own history. And one thing, I mean, I, I'm not a parent. I mean, I was talking about my niece earlier before we jumped on this, but, you know, she's more like a goddaughter to me at this point. And one thing that I know is that when you do have kids or when you're a caretaker, nurturer, whatever, you know, sometimes it, it brings up memories of your own childhood and things that, like unresolved things that you were like, uh, I never really had to deal with that. But now I'm faced with a little being that I'm meant to take care of. And so trying to do that as well with Hold Me by the Heart is, you know, Din is also being faced with his own childhood. And, you know, I, I wanted to tap into that too. I just, you know, what's so compelling to me about this was the fact that in The Mandalorian, I just looked at Grogu and I looked at Din and I'm like, you both are incredibly similar. You like, you have, you're both so, so similar. Like the sense of loss and love being so inextricably tied that you can't tell the difference between the two. And so I'm like, how do you form attachment with people like that? You know, and is it possible? And of course, the answer is yes. But I think it's difficult and it's tricky because there's this constant, I want to move towards you. I constantly want to move away. It's this dance that I wanted to capture with this story without, I, I hope this is not, this is not a spoiler because a chapter is going to come out very soon. But this isn't, I hope this isn't a spoiler. It's not. Without there being this resolution that's like, and now, Grogu, you're not insecure. And now, <laughs> you know. Right, that magical healing moment oh, where yeah, everything's fine. Happily ever after. It's not that. But instead, it's we've just taken steps closer towards each other. We're learning to to face our fears a little bit better. And so I think that's what was so compelling to me is that, I was like, man, there's a similarity about this, about both of their histories. And so I think when we talk about messaging, you know, this is also such a great question too, because I think when I first started off, well, pause there. I started off with only, believe it or not, I was like, this is going to be a one shot or it's going to just be three chapters. Really? And I know. I always do that. I'm going to let you know that. I always do that. <laughs> I, and I'm like, I need to stop doing that because I end up screwing myself over. But in that case, I was like, it's going to be very short. And then the more that I started writing it, I would, so there wasn't a thought about messaging. I was like, oh, I'm just going to write this story and, and be done. And when I started writing it, I was like, there's more to this. It's almost like excavating where you're digging and you're like, oh crap, there's a whole skeleton. It's not just a bone. And you're like, oh, that's great. But then you're like, oh, more work. And so that's what it looks like. And so to answer the question about messaging, I think once it moved beyond that and it started getting expanded, because I was like, first, it's I'm only going to do five chapters. Then I was like, I'm only going to do seven. Then I was like, I'm only going to do nine. And I'm like, it's, we're stopping at 11. We actually are. And so I realized, I was like, there's so many messages. And I think when I first started writing, 
I think there was a certain message that I wanted people to to take from the story. But I think the more that I've been writing, the more I'm like, you know what? This story is up to interpretation. It is whatever it means to you. I have had readers tell me it, like usually making an observation that I was like, I did not write with that intent. But if that's what you got out of it, that's what it is. Like, because, and I, I love that magic that happens with writing. The best way to explain this, like, I want it to outlive my purpose. I want it to outlive what my intention was to go further than like, and my, my dream for it might've been very small, but I feel like it's readers who comment and say, you know, this has meant this to me. And I'm like, oh, that is so surprising. That's so good. That moves me. That wasn't initially what I had in mind. Not that I had a specific thing in mind, but that just, I didn't even see that. But the fact that you got that, I'm moved by that. And I think that there's something more special about leaving it up to interpretation than trying to, what I used to do in the past in my previous writings, I was trying to force something on other people. Like, you should feel this. And this is what you should take from it. And instead being like, you are an intelligent, beautiful human being. Take what you want, you know? And I hope that whatever message you take from it, I hope that it also impacts me. That it's not just this linear thing, but more like a conversation between writer and reader. So yeah, long, long, freaking long answer. But <laughs> that's I love bad. that, though. I love it because, you know, we're always going on and on and on about the transformative nature of fan fiction. And we often stop the conversation there, right? And Oof. we all can all agree, yeah, it's oh, transformative. Yeah. But at the point where the reader takes it Ooh. and digests it, it goes through another transformation process at that point because you're right. Each reader is going to take something away from it a little bit different than another reader. And it becomes transformed again through the lens and the life experience of the person experiencing it on the other end. It's absolutely magical. I love it. Oh, I like that. I like how you said that. It does usually stop there. We tend to say like, it's formational, it's transformational, this is great. And then that's it. But I love the way that you said that, that phrase of, you know, it's almost like when the readers take hold of it and oh, that's so good because there's an aspect of surrender where it's like, I mean, I look at it and I'm like, there's a, a level of control that I have when I'm writing. But then once it's out there, it's like, you know what? It's just going wherever it is. You know, it's, it's not in my control and, and rightly so I'm, I'm grateful for that. And I mean, one thing I would love to add is I'm like, if there were, it is more like a, a very basic overarching um, message. But I think if there were one, it's the fact that I'm, I'm such a staunch advocate of the fact that I'm like, there's, there's messiness in all of our lives. There's trauma, there's brokenness, but that doesn't mean we're not worthy of love. Like, I really do hate that I, I see sometimes, either on social media or in other places, that's like, you need to kind of pull yourself together and get yourself together and then good things will find you. And I just, I buck against that so hard. Because I'm like, it, it almost feels like you need to clean certain things up and then you're almost worthy for certain things. And, and instead of like, Din stumbled upon this child, that's not what he, it's not what he intended. And same thing, I think, with Grogu. And there's a magic about that. There's something about, you know, whether you call it the force, whether you call it fate, whether you call it whatever, of just being drawn together at a certain point in time. And I, I like the thought of like, we can all find connection, we can all find love and belonging and still be works in progress. We all are. And honestly, this idea about perfection, or like total healing, I'm like, it's, it's hilarious. But I'm like, it's just not, 
it's just not real. And instead, I'm like, I think the magic happens, the beauty happens when you are seeing two people in process, figuring their way out together, and they've managed to create a relationship, whether it's romantic, whether it's platonic, whether it's familial, whatever. That's that's just so captivating and compelling and gorgeous. And so, yeah, yeah, I love it. I do love yeah. it. Ah, no, it was a meet me where you are oh, kind yes. of fic, right? Yes. Because they're both meeting at a certain point in time and they're making those connections just based off of where they are at that particular moment. And I really appreciated, okay, there's a lot of things I appreciated about this fic, but <laughs> one of the things that I just really appreciated was that you took the time to include your psych corner author's oh. comments at the end of each chapter because it really made me think and it really helped me to kind of understand the backstory of kind of what you were going for. And I just wanted to tell you that I really appreciated it, especially because you are coming at this from the adopted kids perspective, mm, right? Yeah. I have adopted siblings in my family and adoption really is one of those meet me where you are Oof, kind of yes. situations. Because the family that's doing the adopting is not perfect. Ooh, we have our yes. own issues. We have our own problems, our own dysfunctional dynamic. And then you bring these kids in who have trauma and connection issues. And none of it is perfect, right? Mm, yeah. None of it. And it's messy and it's hard, yeah. right? Yeah. And I really loved that you brought those elements into the story because it was so real. And I was just thinking back, like, wow, I remember, you know, because I was older when we adopted my siblings. So I remember what that process was like. And I remember how messy it was. But that doesn't mean that the process wasn't worth it. And I love that you show that in your story that it's hard, but the process was worth it, you know, and it's worth it for Grogu and it's worth it for Din. And it's just so cool. I was wondering what inspired that site corner content that you included. Yeah, yeah. This was also a question I absolutely loved. It, it made me laugh. I'll tell you, this is why it made me laugh. I'm about to out myself a lot of ways. So I think this started maybe around the third chapter, maybe fourth. I thought I was like, I have all of these thoughts that I love character development and backstory and core motivations and fears. And I want to talk about those. And so I was like, ah, oh, you know, maybe I should write it out and just put it in the notes. But what's so funny is I was like, no one's going to read that. And the reason why was not because I was being negative towards myself, but I was like, I don't read author's notes. So why would anyone read <laughs> I was like, I was like, I don't read those things. And so I was like, you know what? This is purely for my own pleasure because I need to get it out of my brain. And so it's been so wild that most honestly... Most of the people who commented and told me, they're like, the reason why I stick around is I love the story, but I love Psych Corner with Din. And I was like, <laughs> you all read that thing? Like, <laughs> like We do. <laughs> I know. I was like, afterward, I was like, oh my goodness. So I have been projecting this whole time. <laughs> so I was, I was like, I need to, maybe I need to adjust. But I, oh, it, it was just so good. I mean, a lot of it was just, Again, like I was mentioning, I am someone, as a writer, as a reader, I love tapping into character motivations and fears and desires. It's one of the reasons why it takes me so long to write. It's not even that long, but it, it takes me a while to write because most of my, my writing process goes into that. 
more than plot, it's like, I need to understand in this scene, what does this person want based on who they are? What are they afraid? You know, and so just being able to incorporate that was super cool. But again, I, I mean, I want to be completely honest. I put that in there because I was like, I just need to get all these crazy thoughts out of my brain. No one's going to read it. That's okay. Like, I don't read that those things. And so the fact that now most of the people who do read it will usually say, like, I just can't wait to scroll to the end. <laughs> it's like an Avengers thing, like a Marvel post-credits. Oh, um, yeah. Like that post-credit <laughs> thing you get at the end of the yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah. For me, it was like curling up at the end of a really cool show. And sometimes you go to those premieres. And then they have the content creator come out afterwards and answer questions and talk more about the work. And it felt like curling up on the couch with a blanket and a cup of coffee or something and just being like, okay, spill, girl. What do you have to tell us today? It was really cool. I loved it. Oh, that's the best. That's the best. I love that you had that, that experience. I mean, I remember starting off where I was like, please get something nice to drink. So the fact that you you had that experience. It's super cool. I also love, and I, I want to rewind back because I love how you brought up, you know, having the experience of having adopted siblings and all of that. And, you know, I have family members who are adopted as well. And so a lot of it was tapping into that. And I, I just love that you brought that out is the sense of, you know, you're talking about two imperfect groups or people coming together. I mean, that's family 101. <laughs> but, you right? know, I mean, that's AKA family. But I think, you know, I remember mentioning to someone in the comments at one point, because they were, they were sharing a comment about my writing style. Not that it was bad, but it was, a, it was a, a favorable comment. And I remember telling them, I was like, I read this awesome post at one point that said, like, I knew I was growing as a writer when I stopped asking, is this good? And started asking, is this honest? And I was like, I took that and that, that really shaped a lot of, I mean, Sight Corner, but also writing Din and Grogu. I was like, I just really want this to be honest in, in this aspect of adoption, that you're meeting two people at a moment in time with histories. And I think a lot of the time we like, whether it's a cultural thing or whatever, we don't really like sitting with history. We don't really like sitting with the past. We kind of, especially in Western culture, we're very progressive. Like we just want to move on. Right, <laughs> like right. we're, we're growing, we're evolving. And it's like, but we are a people who our present is only known in our past. And I love, I just, I love exploring that with Din and, and with Grogu and, and that there's nothing, I like stressing, there's nothing wrong with Grogu for dealing with what he's dealing with. And with Din as well, it doesn't make him ineffective or, you know, bad or whatever. And it's one thing I tried to do with even characterizing him of like, for me, I was like, I just want to see him act like a real child. And there's only so much you can do with animatronics or with a puppet. And I'm like, you know, he can be an incredibly, this is the complexity that I was talking about earlier, but he can be an incredibly powerful being. And he can also hurl a cup across the room because he's having a tantrum, you know, and because like there's still things that he's dealing with in his, in his own story that are just hard and they're not easy. And I think wanting to talk about that and to say, I love how, I mean, I love you said it so well. I love how you said like, you know, you know, that process like can be so worthwhile and so worth it. And I hope, I mean, I mean, I hope that's, that's how this story feels. But yeah, yeah, I think with the, the adoption aspect of it, it's just like, you know, 
you are having these people who, you know, have messy histories. But Din isn't isn't the savior. He's not someone who has it all together. And actually, I think that's what makes him a compelling and a really good parent. You know, so all I have to say about that. But I love that. I love what you said. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, it was just it spoke to me, you know, especially with real life situations and stuff like that. Now, with your writing process in general, do you follow canon closely when you write or do you pick and choose? And I feel like I kind of know the answer. Yeah, read this story already, but I I thought I'd let you talk about that. I wonder if you just heard me laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Even when I looked at the question, I was like, oh, that's hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, it is, though. It is. I'm literally that person who's like, canon what? Canon who? (laughs) (laughs) I'm canon at this point. I love that. I am canon. I I pick and choose. I'm like, love that, hate that, throw that in the trash. Let's take this this way. Like, and and some of that is just, I'm being completely funny and, you know, but I think some of it is, you know, I just feel like there's an aspect, I was saying this to someone recently of like, I don't really like following canon to a T for me. The reason why is I feel like it makes me dependent on it as a writer. And I hate that. I'm someone who loves my freedom. I mean, like typical American, but I love my freedom. (laughs) And so I'm like, the minute I feel stifled, I'm like, you've got to go. And so, and so whether it be canon or whatever. And so I like having creative liberty. And so, you know, especially, I mean, you, I mean, of course you just said, I feel like I know the answer to this. You do. Uh, Because there's certain (laughs) things I kept to. There's a whole bunch I did not keep to. And so, yeah, yeah. That's it. Oh, that's awesome. No, it's funny because you talk to some writers who are so obsessed yes. with making sure that oh, you know, it's it. canon compliant and it's, and that and that's fine. That's beautiful too. And then there are other people that just feel like, man, that canon really boxed me in. And yeah. I have somewhere to explore <laughs> outside the bounds of canon. You so know I'm going to do am. it. So yeah, yeah, which I loved though. I loved I was laughing as I was asking you that question because your story does include OC characters. And at that point, you kind of know like, okay, this story is not canon canon. compliant, right? (laughs) Yeah, no, it's not canon. But your OC characters are delightful. My favorites. (laughs) And I'm, I'm pretty sure that a lot of people who have read this story have the same favorites that I do. But my favorites were Aya, Maisie, and Elgie. They were so much fun to read. They were hilarious. They remind me of my own sassy aunts that I I have, you know. And so I was wondering if you could tell us what inspired you to create those three characters. And were aspects of those characters inspired by anyone that you know in real life? First of all, I love that you had that experience with them. I mean, they are an experience. I will say that those women they are, are so funny. They're so <laughs> they're meant to. I, I'm glad that you had that experience. They're meant to be. I love that. Here's the thing, and I, I, I mean, I like. Yeah, here's another aspect of vulnerability. I remember when I had the idea for them, and I remember being like, "Oh, this is so not canon compliant." And I remember <laughs> feeling so nervous because I was like, "Ah." Oh, like, here's the, th- here's the reason, again, projection, same thing with author's notes. I was like, I barely like OCs. <laughs> so, who, like, ah, this is going to, like, irk some people. And so I think what was so great about that is I think it, it forced me to be hyper-specific with them as characters to say, okay, if I even know that I'm not a huge fan of OCs, I kind of am, but most of the time I'm not, they need to be captivating enough for me. 
there needs to be something about their personalities that are compelling and that blend with Din's character and particularly his personality well. And because, I mean, the wrong personality, it's going to read on his personality pretty flat, you know, and I love those women too. I mean, you're so right. I'm like, they've taken on a life of their own. I, I love it because I feel like Maisie is such a smart ass. And I love that about her. She's kind of like, is the kind of woman where she's just going to say whatever she thinks. She doesn't care. I like the fact that she's also like, so sometimes she has like her prejudicial moments where it's like, that's not even good to say. <laughs> and for her, she's like, the devil may care. I don't. Like She doesn't. She's old. You know? She's yeah. like, I've paid my dues. She, I can I, say yes. whatever I want. <laughs> that's exactly. Oh my gosh. I feel like if that was, if that was her voice, that's exactly it. It's so <laughs> nurturing, kind of a pushover, very much passive aggressive. Like, you know, I don't really like what you just said. I'm just going to nod. But you know that I don't like what you just said. You know, and Eldie's kind of like nonchalant. And so they weren't like heavily inspired by anyone per se. For whatever reason, I don't know why. Have you ever read A Wrinkle in Time? Yes. You that know was my exactly book what I'm about up. to say. You yes. know what I'm about to say about Mrs. Who, Mrs. Watson. Uh, <laughs> like, yes. Yes. That, now that you say that, uh-huh. that makes so much sense. Yeah, that's why I think they inspired me of like, I need to have three of them. Because they're going to have this dynamic, like this dynamism about them just as them three. And then Din that comes in and he's like, what? And here's another thing I want to say. What I love is like, this is so obvious, but obviously, you know, Din adopting Grogu. And it's like, he's been adopted by these women who are like 80 years old. And they're like, you know, you're kind of brutish, you know, you're not really a good conversationalist, but we kind of like you for some ridiculous reason, you know, and there's just something compelling about that. And so I hope so. And, you know, yeah, so I want to say, I mean, I'm glad I'm so glad you had that experience with them. I want to say too, I felt so nervous introducing them. Again, just because I was like, OC is gonna be kind of, you know, tricky. But I just had the feeling where I was like, okay, if Din is experiencing these things with Grogu and he has no basis for that, how is he going to know how to move forward in helping the kid unless somebody's introduced? And the original care, well, not the original, the canon compliant characters, they can't help him with that at that time. Actually, even now. Uh, but in, especially with season one, I'm like, you know, it's not going to be Grief Karga. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. Yeah. And it's not going to be uh, her name escapes Kara? me. Uh, yeah, it's not going to be her. Yeah. Right. Well, definitely not now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, unfortunate. But yes, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, it, there's a purpose behind them. But yeah, I I love those ladies. They're so they're so great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and they have some of the best lines in the work, in my I opinion. Agree. I agree. <laughs> so I have this favorite line. It's from chapter four. Again, folks, this is from her story, Hold Me by the Heart, chapter four. And this is one of the old ladies, LG, speaking. And she says, okay, she narrowed her eyes and pointed the cane at him. The point is that you just don't get to leave, Mando. Din started, not following. What? Don't you what me? LG jabbed her cane into his side. That child protected you. And now you're out here sulking like some toddler. We already have one baby in this house. We don't need another. And it was just so sassy, but it it totally, that line encaptures and encapsulates what you were just saying. 
that they were used in this story as a vehicle to move into that place where he could understand where he needed to go in his relationship with Grogu because it's complicated. He has his own, you know, past to deal with. He doesn't understand, right, all of the little idiosyncrasies that he's seeing in Grogu's behavior. And these old ladies, in their no-nonsense, sassy way, were just like, you know what? Here's the way it is. (laughs) (laughs) Here is the way. (laughs) This is the way. (laughs) This is the way. Exactly. And helps him work through his own fears, his own insecurities, and helps him to be that father that Grogu needs him to be. I loved it. I love that. I really do. I have nothing to say other than I'm just so, I love that. I want, I love that you love that line. And I, I think it's so funny. It's, oh, it's so funny. They're hilarious. No, and there's lots of lines like that. Cause those ladies, they're old and hilarious and they just don't care. It's great. So what was your favorite line from this story? Oh my gosh, this was so tricky. I hope you, <laughs> that was so tricky. I, mean, I know I'm making oh, you choose. Right? Oh my gosh. <laughs> the thing is it changes based on the moment. Because you brought up the the old ladies, usually it's actually an introspective line. But I think because you brought up the old ladies, can I say a scene? Can I do that? Yeah. <laughs> Am of I course. able to do that? I'm, of, yeah. of course, I'm breaking the bounds. But I love the first scene when we're introduced to the ladies. Oh, that's one of my favorite scenes in the whole story, to be honest. Like when Din wakes up and they're all there and he's bound with his own gun pointed at him. And the lines, I, I love the lines in that one. I remember like he is like trying to wobble to his feet and, and like he's so like, that's not healthy. He shouldn't be doing that. And he's like, you know, give him to me. And Maze is like, what do you think you're going to do? Knock me over with your dead weight? Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, like that's, and it's just so funny. And then you have Aya who's like, maybe we shouldn't do this. You know what? He's kind of like me. Looks at it and Maze is like, hey. You know, and it's just very, and then you have LD's like, you know what? I say we kill him and strip his body for parts. Oh, <laughs> you know, I know, she would say that. I know. And she's like, we should, like, we should, and then we should use the proceeds to get someone a tea kettle. You're like, what the heck? You know, and I just, I loved, for me, I like the dialogue in that because you have Din who's physically disoriented, but also is actually relationally disoriented. And he's like, what the heck did I just wake up to? You know, and so yeah, I was thinking that when I saw that scene, because I was like, if I woke up, my head's pounding, I have no idea where I am or what just happened, and then you get dropped into that. Yeah, and he's like, <laughs> you know, it, and it's so weird because he's trying to tell them what's going on. They're like, I totally don't believe you, and I just think it's so funny because I mean, that's that's a huge favor, and then also too when he's like going downstairs and is actually having a conversation with them, and like the first thing out of Maisie's mouth is like. Mm. Let's let bygones be bygones and call it even. <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> you're like, he's like, you actually just took all of my weapons, you know, took my child and did this. He's like, well, like, what do you want me to say? Like, you're not going to get an apology, basically. And I just, I love that because, I mean, I mean, they say this too with writing anyway, where they're like, you know, you need to like hit the ground running when you're introducing a new character. Like, it just can't be you know, this, this slow, you know, just tell me exactly who they are immediately. And I love that you get that, in my opinion, like other people, if you didn't get that, totally okay. But I love that for me, I got that in that scene where I'm like, you immediately get all of their personalities in that one room. Den's very like sighing, what did I walk into? This is ridiculous. And then all of their crazy personalities. So that's, that's a favorite of mine. It is. That's awesome. Yeah. And you should feel proud of that because 
OCs are hard. Uh, they they yes. are. They're very hard. Oh. And the fact that you were so successfully able to create three with different personalities that are so easy to pick apart from each other, you know, that was just something really special to me. I was like, oh, this was done so beautifully. Now, I imagine because you've got multi-chapters here, you got OC characters, you got a lot going on in this story. So I imagine that there probably were little details or scenes that you came up with that didn't necessarily make it into the final version of the story. Did you have any of those that you wanted to talk about? Yeah, you know, I'm thinking about that. I feel like I'm actually about to be completely honest. I cannot think of anything right now. <laughs> hey, that's okay. That's okay. okay. You know, some people, they go through and they cut a lot of stuff out. And a lot ends up down, you know, on the editing floor or whatever, the, you know, the phrase is. But, yes. But yeah, no, if you didn't, that's awesome, too. <laughs> I, honestly, I'm pretty sure I did. And honestly, sometimes my brain is just completely blank. Like the moment when it needs to shine, it's like, you know what? Let's take a nap. So, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I cannot. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. No, I that's cool. I just cannot that's remember. Good. I'll be completely honest. No, my brain does that like all day long. So don't you worry <laughs> about that. One of the things I like about that question, though, is it does kind of ease into the next one, which is about the writing process. Because one thing that I have learned talking to so many writers these days is everybody has a slightly different process. What does yours look like? Oh, I love that question. I, I, I mean, I love the word process anyway. And so oh, this is good. Mine typically looks like so usually I have a rough, I, either I either it's rough or it's pretty detailed. I usually have an outline of where I'm going to go with this story. Usually when I'm sitting down to write, I, I rarely do start at the beginning. Uh, starting like coming up with like an opening is so difficult. I hated that when I was in school. They're like, give me a hook. You're like, I, <laughs> what do you want from me? It's an academic paper. And so like a hook. You know, so usually I wait for that, but most of the time what happens for me, and this is very typical for other people too, is that there's a scene that does play in my head like a movie that I'm like, yes. And so I usually sit down and I write that scene first and I have a rough idea of, of where the chapter needs to go, where the story needs to end. But the nitty gritty about where to start is usually like whatever scene is directly in my mind. And that honestly, I love to say like, I really do want to say this too of like, that's changed. Um, when I was younger, I thought I really needed to start at the beginning, you know, and I would kind of force myself to do it. And then the most crappy writing comes out for me that way. Oh, yeah, <laughs> right, know? right. Going from my, point A to point B yeah, to point C. Yeah, because my brain hates being under pressure. It really does. And so it's better for me to say, what is a scene that I actually take so much delight in that's in my head? And let's write that first. And then write everything else after that. And so, I mean, I'll be completely honest. My, my favorite part of writing is editing. I love editing. Oh, really? Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's, it's so weird. Cause I think some people, they're like, oh, I just love writing. And I'm like, I'm usually banging my head on my computer <laughs> like, or walking away because I'm like, we need another snack. And we're like, we really don't. But like, we just need to go walk off. I love, I'm the kind where I love fine tuning. So I can go over a line like seven times just to try to give it like it's supposed to have this emotional reaction. I want to go over it as many times as I can. So, of course, all of that's to say that's usually why it does take me a bit to like come up with a chapter, usually because my chapters are long, too. But also the sense of I just love editing. And so, yeah, that's usually that's a small snippet of like it usually starts in the middle. It usually starts with a scene. 
It usually starts with some kind of rough outline. And that that is my writing process. Oh, I love that. So it sounds like the editing process is the best part of the writing process for you. And you mentioned that sometimes starting and coming up with that beginning part can be the most challenging. Are there any other challenging aspects of the writing process for you? Oh, writing. (laughs) 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 Like literally, I mean, okay, it was just... I, I do love interacting with people because I'm like, I, I really want you to just be able to know the real me because I it's so kind. I get comments where people, I love your writing style. This is so nice. I love the way this is written. I'm like, I'm so glad, but I hope you know this is like the eighth draft. Like, it's, <laughs> like if you saw my skeleton, you'd be like, huh, that's interesting. It's not the eighth draft. And, and for me, I love being able to boast about that because, you know, I mean... The writing process for me can be really difficult. And I, I want to normalize that because, you know, I just, it can be difficult, especially usually I know it's it's difficult for me because I have an idea in my head and translating it on paper is so freaking difficult. Like <laughs> you're like, it's, it looks like this in my head. How do I communicate that with words? And that is difficult. And so I like being able to be honest about that. And saying, like, I've grown as a writer. I'm grateful. I like my writing style. I mean, that's a a big thing for me now when I was younger. And I used to just completely, like, hate on my writing so much. And now being able to say, no, I like my writing. But it takes me a while to, to write. And I have a lot of days where I'm like, we're going to write today. And then we sit down and we're like, my brain is like, no, we're not. And, and that's just a real reality. And so I think the hardest part is the writing. But I think if I go a little bit deeper than that, it's really giving myself grace and giving myself room to go through that process of writing to say it is a writing process. It's not just, okay, it's in my head. And now bleh, I just vomited it on the on the page. And now it's perfect. And that's, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to be completely honest. I am a recovering perfectionist. So that is what makes it difficult is saying like, Hey, you know, writing is the hardest part because I have these high lofty expectations. What would it look like if I came down from that and let myself just enjoy the process of coming up with draft after draft? And that doesn't have to suck. Like it doesn't have to be horrible. I can actually fall in love with the process. So I'm learning that. I I like to stress, like I'm learning so much, but yeah, that's usually what's hard. I'll be honest. I love that you are honest about that though. And that part about giving yourself grace, right? Because I come across a lot of posts online from fan fiction writers that, you know, and, and they vent online and that's perfectly cool because it's a safe space, you know, where they can just vent. But there's a lot of people that get that frustration about the writing process because I think we have in our heads that we got to be perfect. We got to get it right the first time, you know, or there's a lot of people that do sit down at the computer and the brain just doesn't want to cooperate and they just feel like, what is wrong with me? There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with any of you, right? Give yourself that grace. I love that you said that because I think that grace there's enough to go around for everybody, folks. Yeah. Oh, you're <laughs> and it's so okay. Right. It's okay if your process it, you think is is weird, or if sometimes you can't get out what you want to get out, or if you have to edit that draft ten times yeah. to get it where you want it. It is okay. Oh, 
I love that you said that. That's so good. Uh, side note, I do realize I'm saying that a lot, but I genuinely do love a lot of things that you're saying because, I mean, the point where you were saying, you know, there's enough to go around. And I think it's so hard, at least I can say about myself, it's so hard is that I think we we offer that sometimes better to other people than we do to ourselves. Yes, you know? thank you for saying that. Yeah, yes. we're hold. I mean, I'm I'm honestly just talking about my own process of like holding myself to the standard. I know I would never hold someone else to. I would be kind of I'm like, you know what? Take as much time as you need. But then I'm over here like, no, you cannot do that. And you know, and isn't that terrible? I'm like, <laughs> no, it's real though. It's real. Like I don't know what it is about human beings, but we love being hard on ourselves. Oh, it's true. Right? It's Way true. more than we would it's, put that on somebody else. It's also so celebrated. I mean, I mean, here's the thing. I think, I don't know whether it's this false form of humility or whatever it is, but we feel like we kind of owe it to ourselves to be, to tell ourselves, no, what you wrote is just trash. No one would like it. You're doing this. That sucks. You suck. You know, and all of that. And you know, I think there's so many different reasons for that. I know, at least for myself, when I sit with that, I recognize I'm like, it's easier for me to hate on myself than it is for me to to be patient, to be compassionate with myself, to sit with the vulnerability of what if someone did like it? What if this is honest? What if it is good? And I think sometimes that's really what scares us. At least it, I think it can scare me a lot of the time. And so I think like there is something about normalizing it and saying, I mean, one thing I love to do even with my writing process that I've started doing recently is allowing myself to be moved by my own writing. Like that's something that's not a thing like that we let ourselves do. It's like the best way that I can articulate it is that the way that I used to write was like, okay, writing something, posting it, and then almost like holding my breath and waiting for someone else to tell me I could breathe. Like, and what that means is like, Waiting oh, for someone, like someone to say, else. yes, to say, give you permission, yes, but you can say, give yourself that yes, permission, yes, that like, oh, this is good, okay, now I can exhale, oh, I got to come, oh, I can exhale, you know, and it's like, I'd be holding my breath that entire time, and so it's a big thing for me now to say, I'm, especially in the editing process, don't just critique, pause and say, if there was a line, if there was a paragraph, if there was something, I'm like, I like the way I worded that, pause with that emotion and to say, oh, I laughed or like, oh, I felt like I could cry and saying that's so good. Like, let myself be moved by my own writing first and then put it out there to other people and to say, I hope you are too. But it's like an aspect of hospitality. Like I'm inviting you into my house, into the space that I love. And I just hope you love it too. And if you don't, you know, the door is open and I hope you find what you're looking for. But that's an adjustment that I made that I'm like, okay, honey, we're not going to hold our breath anymore. Like that's killing you. So like, actually, you know, like let's take a deep breath and let's allow ourselves to feel the impact of our own writing instead of waiting for someone else to say it's good. Oh, I love that. Joy in the journey. Oh, right? okay. Joy you come up the with process. these great sentences. Honestly, <laughs> are you a writer? Hello? <laughs> yeah, no, no, folks. I'm not a writer. I play one on TV. That's that's it. <laughs> but I love I love playing in the worlds that you guys create and in the works that you guys share. It's my favorite thing in the whole entire world. Do you tell people in real life that you write fan fiction? Yeah. So here's the thing. I, here's another process thing. When I was younger, I did not. I did it. And I completely understand it. 
Now I do. I mean, like, hold me by the heart. Before it was even, like, before the first word was written, like, this is why I said my sister was going to come up. I shared the whole idea for it for my sister. Oh, really? I did. And my sister was like, my sister's one of those where <laughs> she's not hypercritical. She's very much like, mm-hmm, that sounds good. Do it. And that's all she'll do. But I think that's great for me. It's helpful. And telling friends, like, like I write fan fiction or like just saying I dabble in everything. But I like to talk about the journey and the process to say when I was younger, I did not like I didn't. And I think some of it was just this inner sense of shame or this sense of like, oh, I'm not really a real writer or, oh, people are going to look at me like, you know, oh, like, you know, you know, that that gross feeling. And I, I think I don't look back on that. I think it's really important for me where this is like an act of self-compassion. Like, I don't look back on that and say, oh, you should have told people anyway. You should have pushed yourself to, I just don't believe in that. I'm like, you know, do whatever you need to do. All of us are in a process. Sometimes it might be hard to share certain things. You know, maybe it'll be later down the road. Maybe it might be a year. It, there's no shame in it. I think it just took me a while. And I think I'm still in that process. But being able to own and to say, I am a writer. Like, it's not, oh, fan fiction. It's like, no, I am. And so, yeah, like, Hold Me By The Heart honestly came into being. Please thank my sister. She is a godsend. Because she was, honestly, I don't think, if she had kind of responded and had been like, that sucks. Like, I might have still read it. (laughs) Not that she would ever do that. I might have still been like, you know what? Out of spite, I'm going to write it anyway. (laughs) Just to spite you. But I think I think it helped though that she offered this complete non-judgmental space where, and this is indicative too, that it wasn't that's a good idea or that's a bad idea. It was you should write that. Like it was if that's good to you, like and not in that kind of patronizing way, but like the most important thing is that you want to write that. It's not really about whether I think it should be written or not. And that was huge for me. And so like, yeah, I mean, of course, like, Yeah, that story got written because of her. And yeah, like she knows she's been wanting to read it, but she's also the kind where she's like, you know what, wait, I'm going to wait till it's done. And then I want to read the whole thing. So yeah, yeah, that's, it's been so special in that way. But it has been a journey for sure. Oh, what a beautiful reaction though. I love that. I'll take a second here on the podcast and give a shout out to Much Ado Lu's sister. Thank (laughs) you for inspiring that. And thank you for letting that happen because folks like me have gotten a lot of joy out of reading (laughs) the story that she created, Hold Me by the Heart. So what part you played in that. Thank you. Yes. Many (laughs) praises to that woman. She's great. Absolutely. I like that question about telling people in real life because for a really long time, and I'm not a writer, I'm just a reader. But for a really long time, I did not tell anyone. Of course, of course. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like it was that thing that you did in the dark oh, under yeah. the covers. Actually when in you the were dark. about to go to bed <laughs> and nobody knew about it. Oh, like, yeah. you know, my significant others for a long time didn't know. And I was like, I felt all guilty about talking about it. Yeah, so I, didn't, I get it. Right? And then there comes a part in your life where you're like, I refuse to hide. this part of myself anymore. It must come out. It must be talked about. I joke around with people and I say, yeah, I came out recently about my (laughs) obsession about fan fiction. And, you know, especially my family members. I, I have siblings who live with me right now because of the pandemic situation. And they didn't know. But then I came out and was like, you know what? 
I'm going to tell you all something. This is what I do in my spare time. Yes! <laughs> this is oh, what I, I love, love about it. This is, you know, why I read it. This is why people write it. And it was this whole amazing conversation. And I know that not everyone that you come across and have these conversations with are going to react positively. Yeah, you can't expect important. that. But yeah. I was surprised at the way that people in my life have responded to it. It hasn't all been bad. Yeah. So, That's so special. I yeah, love that. That's so, so it's special. It's always interesting. I think that sometimes we feel hesitant, right, about talking about fan fiction because there are stigmas yes. and stereotypes yeah. surrounding fan fiction, right? So how do you feel that you defy those stereotypes or do you reflect them? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, this was also a great question. I mean, all the questions that you ask are just so good. But yeah, I loved this one in particular. So let me name the two stereotypes or stigmas that I see is the first of like, oh, you write fan fiction. Like, it's almost like, oh, you're not really a real writer. You know, you just have to take someone else's idea. Or second, it's this idea of like, oh, it's just like 12 year old girls. Like, oh, it's so, oh, that's gross. But like, that's so, uh, but like, it's 12 year old girls writing these stories and reading these things. And I'm like, first of all, if it is 12 year old girls, who cares? But secondly, you know, that's great, honestly. But secondly, there's there's so many more people. And I think for me, at least how I hope, like what I hope I, I defy in that way is, you know, I think one thing I love to do, my bookmarks on AO3 is, is exactly this. I love supporting other people's works. I mean, if I can do it on Tumblr as well, but to be able to say like, this is fantastic or just like, here's a, here's a, here's a point. This is a side note. I introduced my sister to AO3 today, like today, ah! today. Like she was asking, like, you know, she and I have talked about fan fiction. She's like, do you think they have Fruits Basket fan fiction? I was like, yeah, they do. Because Absolutely, they AO3 do. AO3 has everything. It's like a grocery store. You go yeah. in there and you grab what you need. And so like doing things like that. But I mean, even having a conversation, a face-to-face conversation with her and saying, because we were having this conversation, I was sharing with her, I was like, there are pieces, and this is why I was saying about my, my bookmarks, there are pieces of fan fiction that I have read that have been honestly better than some books I've read, like that are absolutely phenomenal. And usually that's why I bookmark it. But for me, I like telling people, this is a story that got one of, there's one story on my, on my bookmarks when I was a freshman in college where I was like, I was really struggling with my mental health. And when I tell you that story saved me, like I like talking about those things and saying, no, 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 it's not just this cutesy, like there's fluff, there's that. Like if you're looking for something cutesy and fluffy, there's that. But there's a depth to this. There's a, there's a world. And I've seen people take concepts in canon and expand it into a universe, like literally create their own universe with such an intricacy that I'm like, you're doing this for free? Like, <laughs> like you put, I can tell you put so much thought into it. And so for me, I think how I try, I hope to defy it on the front end is either in conversation or in my, on my online platforms to showcase works that I think are, are phenomenal. And I think in my own writing I think it's just, uh, honestly, just the thought I, I try to put into it, whether it's through the notes, whether it's through the plot, whether it's whatever. I I think I like to write like 
no, this isn't just this kind of flimsy, cutesy kind of thing. Like this is something I'm committed to and I want to showcase others' works. I want to showcase my work. And the time that I'm committing to it is serious time to write, you know? And so, yeah, I think like in a nutshell, those are like a few minor ways that I, I try to defy it by saying like, no, there are, there are amazing works and people are pumping out whole stories. Again, I want to stress this point for free. Like, where can you get that? So it's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing the story of finding that one fan fiction when you were a freshman in college. That to me is like the pinnacle of what fan fiction is and why it's worth writing and it's worth reading. Because, you know, we can talk about how fun it is, how entertaining it is. And it is, of course it is. And it's free and it connects people <laughs> yeah. all over the world. But I too have had those moments in my life where a specific piece of fan fiction changed me yeah. as a person. And where else can you get an experience like that? So thank you for sharing that and being honest about that. Of course, that's a huge reason why it's worth reading and writing and we're talking about. Are there any other reasons that we haven't discussed that you think, huh, hello, this is one of those times when my brain is having a short circuit. I get it. <laughs> Are there any other aspects of fan fiction that you want to talk about with respect to fan fiction being worth writing and reading that we haven't already covered? I could go on and on. This is like, it's one of my favorite topics. And I love that you're, that you're doing this too. Again, I love, I love your podcast. Oh, there's so many reasons. I, I truly think there's something about fan fiction. I mean, you mentioned this um, before we started recording, but it is, you know, it's by the people for the people. And I think there's something that is powerful about that. I also think there's something about, uh, you know, I'm, I don't want to speak in the hypothetical. Let me be very uh, story oriented or very personal. I remember even just when the pandemic started, oh, that was so hard. And I was going through a number of other emotional things. And I remember <laughs> reading fan fiction because that's, that's literally your therapist. And I remember I was reading, I think something from like Iron Dad. So like, Tony Stark and Peter Parker. And there was a line in that story. It's also a story that's in my bookmarks. <laughs> there was a story, there's a line in that story where I actually tell, like when I can tell you, I paused and I was actually in tears because what it did, I remember what the line was, was uh, there's something Peter like was realized it, it was really bugging him. And he was like, I can't remember what my dad looks like. I don't know what he looks like. And you know, I can't remember anything, you know, and that's not good. And it kind of goes to Tony and, and having this, this moment where he said to him, you know, what if I really, I just want to move on. I don't really want to feel this way anymore. Like, I want to stop being so, you know, up in arms about this, you know, like, what if I just really want to move on? And like, I just can, and this is so frustrating. And I remember Tony, the written <laughs> Tony responded back in this way that moved me of saying like, you know, so, like sometimes like maybe it's just your heart telling your mind it just needs some more time. And that really hit me because I felt that exact way. I was in this moment in my life where I was like, I just want to get over this. I just don't really want to like rehash this thing in my life over and over again. And I just feel frustrated. And to have this line articulated of saying, you know, you're trying to move on. And sometimes it's, again, we're talking about healing. And sometimes your heart, your body, your brain, whatever it is, 
sometimes it just needs more time and sometimes it's just patience. And I loved that. And I think that's the magic for me of fan fiction is that, you know, I mean, I've, I've been on AO3. I, I had, I started a user, my username and like since last year, but I've been on AO3 since I was like, ooh, ooh, ooh. we're talking like I might've been a freshman in high school. And so reading things, and there are lines that I still can remember almost verbatim to this day because they hit me on an emotional, visceral level. There's some stories that are just so cathartic. And I think that's what it is. There's something about fan fiction where we write what we want to see and it touches whoever it is, a number of people in different ways. And so I just, I absolutely, absolutely love that. Yeah, and I think if I could say one other thing, is that AO3 can also be kind of tricky. And I'm going to say this with a caveat because I'm about to like, it's not really bash myself, but I am about to say something. Is that um, AO3 can be tricky because it's it can be such a quantitative measurement space of like how many hits, how many kudos. And I'm saying like, I'm speaking against myself because I know Hold Me By The Heart has, has gained a level of popularity, which is nice. But I do want to, I do like to say too, like, there are amazing stories that I've read, amazing stories, where they don't have all these hits, they don't have all these kudos, they don't have all these bookmarks, but they are so amazing. And I think, like, there's that, too. Like, I mean, if a story is well-written and it's also popular, that's great. But I think there's so many stories, too, that, we, they, that well, they might not be in the, the public online eye, but they're just hidden gems. And I think that's the that's also the beauty in fan fiction is you're having people who are doing it because they love it, even if they're not getting all these views or whatever. And so I think it's one reason why I do like to support other people's work too. Cause I'm just like, you know, there's works I've read. And I'm like, why do you only have a thousand hits? You should like, can I give you some of mine? Because, you know, I just want this to be so popular. And so I, I love that aspect too. So yeah, yeah, there's just, there's a lot of beauty that goes into it. But that's, I think that would be my response to that question. That is perfect. Fan fiction writers, I want you guys to know that these are the experiences that readers are having with your stories. You never know when a line or a scene from your story is going to change someone's life because it happens. It happens to, it's happened to you, yeah. you to do you, <laughs> and it's happened to me. And so I just want you guys to remember that fan fiction writers out there, that what you do matters. It matters. It matters. Now, we, we are coming up to the last question of the day. And that question is, who are the top three fan fiction writers that you follow? <laughs> yeah, this is, oh, this is so tricky. And you can skip it if you want to. Some people skip this one. Here's the thing. Can I talk about one in particular and then kind of talk about that in depth. Is that better? Can I do that? Of course, of course. So I remember there is this one author on AO3, and I, th I think their, their username is Mind Heist. And they have so, it's not in the Mandalorian fandom. I'm pretty sure it's in the, yes, it is in like the BTS fandom. And I have, and I don't even, I don't even go on that fandom that much anymore, but everything they write, I, I think I've read almost everything. And I think some of it is the fact that what I love about them, again, I'm someone who loves alternate universes. And 
I have seen the most incredible, <laughs> the most incredible storylines from them that I've looked at. I'm like, how the heck did you come up with it? One of my favorite stories that they wrote was between two people. And they what they did is they cast one as the moon and one as the sun. And oh. it was beautiful. But what they, they shifted it where they were like, they almost shifted reality where they're like the moon and the sun are always in the sky at the same time. And the story was explaining why it is that the moon and the sun are in, like they revolve around each other. And it just, it, oh my gosh. Like, like in the sky. Absolutely gorgeous. It was so gorgeous. I think it was like, it was such a, it was an amazing plot because it was like, they created this thing where like on earth there's these night crawlers where they're like devouring humanity. And so like the King, for whatever reason, there's a King, he decides to like take, like pull the sun from the sky. Cause it's like a sun God in a way. And like, you're going to help us because they're night creatures. So we just need the sun. And, and instead it, it's, I don't like literally, I was like, who the heck comes up with this? And it was so compelling because I was like, wow, I I never have thought about that. And then the moon comes out of the sky, so everything's dark. And and then I think they have this beautiful love story. And they're like, at the end, they decide to sacrifice their love for humanity. So they're like, if, if one of us is in the sky, then it gives enough light. So there's no night crawlers or creatures anymore. And now humanity's saved. But we only get to see each other on an eclipse. And I was like, oh, this is terrible. But I oh. love it. I know. The- bittersweet romance of that bittersweet, i mean can you imagine that it's like only seeing each other on an eclipse even though oh like we've known God. eternity together and it's like now we're only gonna give ourselves like a few minutes or hours maybe like to be together oh, in the sky wow. again and when i tell you like the narration of that like it i i loved that story and that's what got me into everything else that they write because it wasn't like a typical, okay, we're going to start with this point of view. It started with like two people sitting like on the grass, looking up at the, at like the stars and just saying, Hey, do you know why the moon is here and the sun comes in the morning? And then just telling this like fable. And I, when I tell you, I was like, who comes up with these things? So I absolutely, absolutely loved that. And so they're like one of my favorite writers like they only really write one shots but they're long ones and which I love and so yeah I I tend to really love stories that are like that where it's like take me outside of the box make me believe something that I'm like wait this like it, it makes it doesn't it wouldn't work in like reality but it works on paper you know and I love that and so yeah they're they're literally one of my favorite authors on AO3 Mind Heist they're great. Mine highs. Perfect. That's perfect. Thank you. I'll have to check that out because honestly, that sounds right up my alley. Oh, please uh, do. <laughs> we're, we literally are going to exchange fan fiction. Oh, and I one thing, last person who you had on your, not the one that you just recorded, the last person who you had on your podcast is her China doll. Yes. She is my beta reader. And I just want to say- She is? Yes. I just want to <laughs> say, like- we discovered we are soulmates. So I just want to say, I reblogged that also because I was like, you, one, I did not know that you were interviewing her. So I was like, when I saw it, I was like, and she didn't let, tell me either. So I was like, <laughs> I was like, what? I should be mad at you, but I'm so happy 
someone else knows how amazing you are. And so she's also somebody like I could also talk about writing. I love I love her stories. But I think also she's such a great like the way that she thinks like she's helped me with so many of my ideas. And I think it's so rare to be able to to talk to a writer on the back end. Like usually it's like we just see, oh, the writing I love. I just love like I'm just in love with her mind. So I do, I do want to say that. Like, she's also one of my favorites, just because I, I love her passion. And I also love, again, I just feel like my stories, I mean, they're, I love my stories, but I just, I feel like they wouldn't have gone as far without her. She really has helped me a whole bunch. So but those two, I want to say those two, they're great. Oh, thank you so much for that. Asana, that's a shout out for you, girl. Yes. <laughs> she's great. Oh, we love, love you. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. That does conclude my questions for today. Much ado, Lou, do you have any last words for us before we close out? Nothing other than just like the encouragement. I mean, I mean, anyone who's writing or is considering writing, like definitely write. But I am someone where I'm like, write for yourself. Like, write because you feel like it's something that is compelling to you. Like, I'm not really someone like who cares what people think. Like to some degree, yeah, but I also understand the audience aspect of it wanting to hear other people's opinions but I do think like you know if there's something that is compelling to you definitely definitely write it and I hope you enjoy your own writing and then share it with me so I can share it with other people so yes that's the only plugs of one if you have something to write then totally do that if you're just a reader read to your heart's delight or three if you do want me to read your read, I would love to be able to promote it. I love promoting everyone's stuff. So please send it my way. I love reading. Ah, oh, that's perfect. Thank <laughs> you. Much ado, Lou. Thank you so much for coming on and joining us today. This was fantastic. Check out her stories on AO3, folks. Give her some love. This one is called Hold Me by the Heart. It's available on AO3. If you'd like to reach out to me, I can be reached at fanficmaverick at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe, and I will see you next episode. In the meantime, keep on rolling. <laughs>